Welcome to the FaithBridge Sermons Podcast. Today's sermon is brought to you by Bible teacher Clay Scroggins and was recorded on Sunday, July 2nd, 2023. And hey, if you're ever in the area, join us on Sunday on campus at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. and come say hi in person. You can also follow us on Instagram at FaithBridge to see what goes on during the week. And as always, you can join us every Sunday for our online service called FaithBridge Live at faithbridge.org live. Here's Clay. Well, good morning and good to see everyone. So glad to get to be with you. I love seeing all the patriotic colors. Happy July 4th weekend. Uh, What an awesome, awesome weekend for us, right? What a great opportunity we have to get to celebrate the freedom that we have as Americans. Uh, I am so, so grateful for our country. I know we're not perfect. We've got things that we need to improve, but we are doing pretty good. And for those of you that have, uh, that have served in our military to allow us to experience the freedom, or those that are serving even still, to experience the freedoms that we experience, those of you that are first responders, whether you serve at a Uh, at a hospital, in our school system, uh, wherever it is that you serve this community, we're just, uh, I know I for one am so, so grateful uh, and honestly proud to get to be an American, and I'm sure you are as well. Um, My wife and I this summer, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we got the opportunity to go to Europe, and it was a wonderful experience. Uh, We have some of my best friend from college, who's actually from, he's a Texan, uh, he and his wife live in Portugal and went to visit them. And two things always happen to me whenever I get outside of the U.S. and go visit another country. The first thing is I'm always like, wow, this is so cool what you guys are doing. You guys know how to live as well. We don't have the corner on all things in life, right? And so you learn things, you see things, you do things, experience things in other countries that are wonderful. But then on the flip side... I always feel so grateful to get to come back to the United States of America. It makes me realize how grateful I am. I genuinely feel like I won the lottery, that I was born here and get to be a citizen here. And I just feel so grateful for for our country. On Tuesday, uh, on July 4th, in Atlanta, my wife and I live with our kids in Atlanta. Um, We live in Atlanta. Our kids also live in Atlanta because that's the way it works. But there's a a road race. It's a 10K called the Peachtree Road Race. It's the world's largest 10K. So 100,000 people will go from uh, uh, one location to another, six miles, however long that is. And uh, we're not going to run it. Uh, but we're going to walk it and <laughs> celebrate. Um, but when you get done with it, you, you all, I mean, I, I don't need to tell you this. Some of you are, you're way more accomplished, certainly than I am. I've never, I haven't, I've completed a few things, but not in, in this way. Uh, but if you've ever completed anything, you know the way this works. You, one of the reasons why you do it, one of the reasons why you finish it is because you get the t-shirt that says, I completed it, you know? And there's something to that. People wear it with pride. I mean, I know you all are, you're a lot of Astro fans here, and you got all the World Series garb, right? Because you get, I, I love it when people, friends of mine, I, I, I'm a fan of the Atlanta Braves. We, we won it the year before that. I'm sure you don't remember that. But anyway, uh, it was a long time ago. But um, whenever I wear it, whenever I wear any paraphernalia, uh, particularly after that season, I would see friends from other places, and they would congratulate me. They would say congratulations on winning the World Series. And I would say, thank you. It was a lot of work on my part, <laughs> right? I mean, it's wild when they do that. They're like, congratulations to you on winning. The-. But it's one of the joys of finishing something, right? I mean, some of you graduated from something. You took a certification. You got accredited for something. You completed a road race. And someone put something on you 
whether it was a t-shirt or a diploma or a degree or a certificate and said, you are now fill in the blank, right? And, and what, whether we want it to or not, it just happens in life that it, it informs our identity, right? This is what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about this big word. The word is identity. And I, I didn't necessarily choose to talk about this word. We're, we're in Acts. We're just walking through the book of Acts. And we're going to be in Acts 12 today, the second half of Acts 12, where we're going we're gonna to read this. Honestly, it's kind of a a disgusting, kind of a grotesque story about a ruler named Herod and what happened to him because of a misplaced identity. That it's all, um, it's possible for every one of us, all of it, whether you've been a Jesus follower your whole life, no matter where you are in your faith, particularly uh, as a Christian even, as a follower of Jesus, as an American, as whatever your race is, whatever your age is, whatever your socioeconomic status is, wherever you live, whatever you do for a living, it's so easy for those components of our life to inform our identity. And it makes us ask some really important questions like, who gets to tell you that you made it? The The... the the organization that runs the road race, they can tell me whether I didn't make it in regard to finishing their 10K. But what about in life? Who has the power in life to tell you, you made it? Maybe even more important. Who has the power to tell you that you're enough? Right? One of the principles of living where we live is our world is all about more, right? However much you have, you could always have more. Whatever you've done, you could have always done more. Whatever you've achieved, you could always achieve more. But how, at what point in life does someone tell us, hey, you're, you're, you're actually enough. You're, you're, you're okay. You've made it. Who, who has the power to do that? Who has the power to do that in your life, right? This is, a, this is a really, that's a broad question. That's one of those in Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the self-actualization. I mean, it's up there, right? I mean, this is above the food, shelter, clothing. I mean, this is in the, you know, who, right, do I feel fulfilled? Do I have agency purpose in life? And, and am I enough? Have I made it? Do I have enough? And who has the power? Because when you identify who it is, you then know who has power in your life, Right? And we've all given away power to different people at different times in our life, but I want us to just stop on July 4th weekend when we're celebrating this remarkable freedom that we have living where we live. Who has the power to tell you who you are? Uh, if you look at Acts 12, we're going to read this story about this gentleman named Herod. Herod was a ruler. If, in fact, if you uh, have a Bible, you can turn there. If you don't have a Bible... We'd love to invite you to take one of these. We've got one for you. It is our gift to you. You can just keep it or you can leave it in your seat. But um, we'd love for you to read along. Or if you use technology, pull up your Bible app, whatever you use. Or we're going to put it up on the screen as well. But I want us to read through this story. And I want us to just be prayerful about it. Saying, God, speak to me. God, use this. Help me to get a sense of who I am. Help me to have a better sense of the dangers of a misplaced identity. Uh, the, the consequences of Herod's misplaced identity, what we're going to see happen to him, I don't know will happen exactly to you. 
But I do know that there are devastating consequences, and I do know that we'll live a life that is less than, and I do know that the fulfillment, the peace, the contentment that is possible when Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full, I do know that that is at risk with a misplaced identity. Um, here's the way this story goes. Well, before I jump in, remember where we were last week, right? We've got to catch up from last week. Last week, we left off in Acts 12 with this remarkable story of Peter who was in prison and he was asleep because he was feeling like God's got me and I got friends that are praying for me. And we talked about the power of prayer because these men and women were diligently and persistently, persistently praying for his release and an angel of the Lord is what Luke tells us in Acts, came and poked him in the side, woke him up, released him, freed him from prison. And at the very end of that story, Herod, who was the ruler at the time of this particular region, this area of Jerusalem, uh, he was a Roman-appointed authority. He, he, He was not the same Herod that was ruling when Jesus was living. That's a different Herod. In fact, that was probably his grandfather, we think, but this is an, another Herod. And it would be like calling someone mayor or governor or sheriff probably because his job was to keep the peace. And he was clearly, as we're going to read, you can read in between the lines that he was addicted to the approval of people. He greatly desired to be liked by the people that he was serving. And it's natural. I don't fault him for that. I'm just telling you there are devastating consequences for a misplaced identity. So when we get to the, uh, the, the middle of chapter 12, he he's goes and investigates these guards that were supposed to be guarding Peter. And when he finds out that they were, didn't, somehow didn't stop the angel, ha, 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 from doing that, which they couldn't have done anyway, but what did he do to them? He had them executed, right? Tragically. I mean, this is awful. Like, these, these, honestly, it's a sad thing because these probably men, they had no, most definitely men, they, had no, they couldn't have done anything. Again, they were powerless against these angels, but they lost their lives. And so we pick up the story there at the end of verse 19. It says, Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea, and he stayed there. And he had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they're now joined together, and he, they sought an audience with him. And, and the, the, the author, Luke, you got to think about, why, why does Luke feel like this is important? Well, whatever he's trying to explain to us, trying to help us understand that the church is being persecuted, followers of Jesus are being persecuted, but they're able to stand firm, that God, God's church is able to continue to grow. And he felt like this is important enough to tell us this. It's also important to know that this is a pretty significant event that happened in their culture, in their society that day. But Herod is having to navigate some politics. He's having to be quite diplomatic. And we see that he's pretty good at it. Because these groups of people in Tyre and Sidon, they're fighting together. They join together and they come to get an audience with him. And after securing the support of Blastus, this guy loved July 4th, by the way. Pyrotechnic, he was was great. That was what people knew him as. I'm just kidding, Bible joke. After securing the support of Blastus, get it, Blastus, like Blast, okay, no. Uh, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. And so he brokers a deal. He keeps the peace. He does what he's supposed to do. He's, a, he's obviously very talented, which the more talented we are sometimes, the more difficult it is to have a healthy identity. But in his success, he makes a fatal mistake. In his success, he takes the credit. In his success, he feels like, well, look at me. Aren't I hot stuff? I'm a pretty big deal. I'm able to make things happen, accomplish things. People love me. Look at what he does next. Verse 21, on the appointed day, Herod 
wearing royal robes. Now, the commentaries that I read said that these royal, royal robes were probably silver in color, and they think this because it gave Herod almost a majestic glow. And so you can just picture, he's, he's sitting on his throne, and he delivers this speech, and the sun is shining on him in a way that it causes him to glow. And people are so taken back by his majesty that on the appointed day, wearing his royal robes, he sat on the throne, he delivered a public address to the people, verse 22, and the people shouted, this is the voice of God, not of man. Some of you, this might remind you of high school, the way people responded to you in high school, right? Your good old days, back in your glory days, right? No, huh? no one's ever said that to me, and I wouldn't imagine anybody said that to you as well, perhaps, but this is the voice of God. This is not a normal, ordinary man. This man is special. This man is remarkable. People were, oh, they were, they were in awe of him. You, you, you've had success in life at some level, right? I mean, you've had something that has gone right, something that has gone well, a season of life that you look back on with fondness. Maybe it was that time you got that promotion, the time you got elected to an office at your school, maybe, the time you made the team, you got put in the, you got named in a particular role in a play, whatever it was, that moment of success, those are the moments that are actually really dangerous for us. It's not always just the failures where we misplace our identity, but it's sometimes it's in our seasons of success that we're most tempted to misplace our identity because it's during the seasons of success that the seeds of failure are most often sown, right? It's in the seeds of success when we start reading the headlines about ourselves, when we start Googling ourselves to see what people are saying, when we start believing the hype about what other people are saying about us, that it's real easy to misplace our identity based on what others are saying about us. Yeah, sometimes when things aren't going well and people are being critical, those are the moments oftentimes when it's easier to put our identity in the place where we know we need to place our identity because we think, well, they're calling me names. They're throwing stones at me. They're throwing rocks at me. They're saying things about me. I, that's not who I am. I need to get away from that. But it's, sometimes it's in those moments of success that we lap it up. We love the attaboys and the attagirls. We love what people are saying about us. And it's in those moments that we're most tempted to misplace our identity in the same way that Herod did. Again, I hope, pray that what happened to Herod does not happen to you or to me. But Herod's pride somehow ignited God's wrath. Herod's, Herod mistakenly putting his identity, soaking up, lapping up, loving what people were saying about him, his inability to differentiate himself from that, his failure to separate himself from that, it, it, it allowed the pride in him to rise up and his pride wakes up God's wrath. Look at what Luke tells us happens. So they make this statement, this is the voice of God, this is not a voice of man, verse 23. Immediately, Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God. And if you're taking notes, great thing to underline, right? That is the key phrase. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, 
an angel of the Lord, these angels were busy, an angel of the Lord struck him down and he was eaten by worms and died. Thank you, appropriately. Someone just goes, ew, yeah. In fact, you feel, feel free to say that, right? That would be the appropriate response. He was eaten by worms and he died. I don't know how you want to die, but I know that's on the list of how I don't want to die. No thank you, right? How disgusting is that? Now, again, we don't know exactly what this means. We don't know what the medical, some of you might be able to explain it medically. Everything I read, they think maybe he had a tapeworm. They think he maybe had parasites, that he clearly, he died from the inside. I think maybe it was appendicitis that then caused him to get infected. But whatever it was, Luke puts the adverb in this sentence. Immediately, he was struck by the wrath of God. And he was eaten by worms. And he died. The consequences of misplacing your identity are devastating. The consequences of placing your identity based on what you do, based on what others are saying, based on any, the good that happens, the bad that happens, for good or for bad, in the successes and in the failures, the consequences of misplacing our identity, they're devastating. And despite the fact that this happened to Herod, Luke wants us to remember, look at the next phrase in verse 24, but the word of God continued to spread and flourish. God's church still grew. God's kingdom still advanced. But it was devastating for Herod, and it will be devastating for us as well. It doesn't mean that it's going to slow down the church, and it doesn't mean it's going to slow down people coming to know Jesus, but it will suck the life out of us. It will get in the way of our ability to experience what Jesus said, having life to the full, the abundant life. We'll miss out on it. And so today, I just, my simple takeaway from this passage is let's put our identity where our identity is supposed to be. Here's what's unique about identity is, you know that message we get when we're a kid, you know, you can do anything and follow your dreams and figure out what's inside of you and your passions and you go for that. Identity's a little bit different than that because there is something about identity where identity must be ascribed to us. The best kind of identity is identity that someone else puts on us. It's a combo. It comes from who I believe of myself, but it also comes from what other people and certainly what the Almighty God has said about me and has said about you. The best kind of identity is to find the highest voice, the most powerful one in that we know of and go, well, what does he say about me? Let, let, let me tell you where I learned this the most. It's from this little proverb that I want to introduce to you or maybe remind you of it. Uh, if you're a note taker, this would be worth writing down. This would be worth memorizing. This would be worth putting on your refrigerator. This would be worth writing on the mirror in your bathroom. Proverbs 29, 25. Look at what it says. This story of Herod reminded me of this proverb. Fear, the fear of man will prove to be a snare. The fear of man will prove to be a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. So let's break this down. What is the fear 
of man. That is not just I'm afraid of people. Sometimes it shows up that way, right? When we misplace our identity, we need so badly to be accepted by others. And we're so afraid of the rejection of others that it causes us to compromise our own morals, to compromise our own values, to do things that we would never advise someone else to do, to do things that compromise the very things that we believe in because we are afraid of others, because we want so badly to be liked by others, we're afraid of the rejection of others. And he, he says, the author of this proverb, probably Solomon, says that the fear of man will prove, I love that concept, that it will prove, it will show itself. There will be evidence that it will be like a, a snare. What is a snare? How many of you are hunters that you actually have dealt with the snare? A few of you uh, feel very insecure talking about snares in front of you because I prefer staying in hotels. I don't really like camping. I don't really enjoy hunting. I grew up in West Alabama. Everybody on the baseball team that I played on in high school, they all went turkey hunting before school. I did not. My dad played golf, and I have two sisters that love shopping. And so that's really my story. So whenever I talk about anything hunting or camping or whatever, I feel like a total poser. But the thing about a snare that I have learned is that a snare, it's a very passive way to catch someone, right? It's not something where you're aggressively catching someone. It's where you're passively. You set something out knowing somebody's going to walk into this and then we're going to catch them and keep them from life. And so I think it's really interesting that Solomon chooses that particular way of capturing someone, that particular method of hunting. He's saying that the fear of man will prove, it'll show itself to become a snare that will get you caught up. It'll cause you to miss out on the joy, the contentment, the satisfaction, the life, the peace that God ultimately has for you. And you know this, right? Because we've all done things we regret, done things to try to impress people, bought things to try to impress people that we don't even really care about, that we don't even really know oftentimes, right? We've all done that, that, that we've all found ourselves caught up in that snare and I would like to think that identity is settled when we're, you know, in preschool or in elementary school or in middle school or in high school or in college, but it, it is not. It is something that we constantly have to be growing in and learning in. God, who do you say that I am? God, what do you think about me? Because as long as the fear of man is running my life, it will prove to be a snare. But like any good proverb, he sets it up with this negative, and then on the back end of it, he gives us this fantastic positive, which is why they're so, why they have so much ring to them. I mean, they, they almost sing in a way, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's beautiful poetry that the fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord, trust what? Well, trust what he says about you. Trust what he thinks about me. Trust what he's already said about you. And trust what he is still saying about you. Whoever trusts in that, whoever believes in that, will be kept safe. Isn't that beautiful? I'm telling you that God is a refuge. He is a hiding place. That when you hide yourself, not from him, but when you hide yourself in him, he will keep you safe. He will save you. 
from all the bad financial decisions and the bad ethical decisions and the bad moral decisions and the bad relational decisions that we're all prone to make when we misplace our identity in giving someone else the power to tell me who I am, giving somebody else the power to tell me when I've made it or to tell me when I'm enough. No, 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 no. The almighty God has already said it. The almighty God has already made it clear and whoever trusts in him will be kept safe. Yeah, here's my, my favorite statement about identity is this, that what God says about you is what's most true about you. What is most true about you? What's most true about you is not what you believe about yourself. It's not what your friends say about you. It's not what your girlfriend or boyfriend says about you. It's certainly not what your ex says about you. No, what is most true about you is what God says about you. And when what God says about you is what you believe, is what you agree is most true about you, that is the most healthy identity. The best identity is to go, well, I know what others say. Well, I know what the people want to say. Well, I know what my employer wants to say. But what does the Almighty say? That the Almighty has spoken. And so why not figure out, what does he say about me? What does he think about me? And so as a way to end our service today, I, I, I wanted to just, um, we're, we're going to sing a song in a second that's going to give us just a chance to um, think about this a little bit more and to prayerfully ask God, God, would you settle this inside of us? Would you make this even more clear to every single one of us? And this is what's beautiful about God, is that he can do this in a personal way to each one of us, in a real and specific way to each one of us. Your whole life can change. I'm telling you, what is hanging in the balance today, I don't want to be overly dramatic, but what is hanging in the balance today is that your whole life can change in the seat that you're sitting in right now. When you begin to believe what God says about you. And so I would love to invite you to just close your eyes and bow your head. I'm going to read you some statements some of these, you're, they're going to come in one ear and fly out the other. But others of these, I want you to hang on to. We'll, we'll make sure that you have access to this because we've attached a specific scripture to each one of these. But if you want to know what does it look like to have your identity set in Christ, to have your identity built on Christ, I want to just read you some statements that the word of God says about who you are. And so feel free to just close your eyes, bow your head. And just listen to these. Just meditate on these. Try to grab a couple of these and hang on to them. There's about 20 of them. You, you are God's child. You are Christ's friend. You belong to God. You are hidden with Christ in God. You are chosen. You are holy and blameless. Jesus says you are light of the world. He says you are salt of the earth. You are a joint heir with Christ sharing in his inheritance. 
You are a new creation. You are one in Christ and with Christ. You are a saint. You are righteous and holy. You are an expression of the life of Christ. You are a son or you are a daughter of light, not of darkness. You are a stranger to this world. You are an enemy of the devil. You are born of God. And the evil one cannot touch you. That is who you are. And so, Heavenly Father, today, we just invite you into a space like this. You don't need any invitation, but we just invite you in to, would you help us believe this? It's one thing for it to be true, but it's another thing, the part we play is to say, all right, I believe that. I'm going to claim that. If that is what you say we are, if that is who you say we are, who are we to tell you otherwise? And so we choose to believe that, even above our our race or our gender, our nationality, our profession, our familial status, even above all of that, we choose to trust what you say is true about us. We choose to believe what you say is true about us. That is who we are. And Father, you punctuated this by dying for us. You let us know, hey, I care most for you. And you rose from the dead, showing that you hold power over life and death, that you are the only one that is caring enough and powerful enough to have the right to tell us who we are. And so we trust you. We believe you. And we thank you for Jesus. And we pray all of this in his powerful and matchless name.